Well, good morning, everybody. That was actually really impressive. I had to interrupt first service. If everyone was morning, folks were chatting it up already. You guys were ready. Uh, my name is John. It's really, uh, I'm very glad to be here in worship with all of you this morning. Um, you might know I'm one of the worship pastors here at River, at River Heights. Uh, I also have the privilege of serving on our preaching team, and I'm really honored to be giving the message today. I did indeed think gratuity was a discount at restaurants for an embarrassingly long time. I was not saving money. I learned a lot. <laughs> um, welcome also to those of us who are viewing online today. Really happy to see you there as well. As we may already be aware, like Hopewell and Pete reminded us, during the month of November, we're spending time as a community thinking about gratitude. And our cultural language about gratitude is really common this, this time of year as we're getting ready for Thanksgiving, as we're looking forward to gift giving at Christmas. In the middle of the season, I, I really, really like that we're taking the opportunity as a church to pause and say, what's this all about for us as followers of Jesus, for us specifically? So I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Um, in my experience, gratitude is something that's, that's all around us. It's, uh, it's mentioned often in our culture, like I said, especially this time of year. When I stop and think about it, I'm not always sure exactly if I know what we're talking about when it comes down to it. So I am indeed, as it were, grateful for, for the chance to think about it together. Um, last week, Pete kicked off our series this month by sharing uh, about specific practices of gratitude as a way to grow closer to Jesus by honestly expressing our thanks to God, both in the good times and in the hard times. And so gratitude is all around us, like I mentioned. It's a basic element of our human communication. If you're interacting with folks who speak a different language, what's the one phrase you want to make sure that you know how to say in the language? That's a good one. Hello is a good one. Thank you is also a good one. Where's the bathroom is a good one. Um, but the words thank you are used in everyday settings, every part of our lives. Most of us probably say those words on a daily basis, you know, whether we're at the grocery store uh, or in our homes. The words thank you are also some, some appropriate in, in less common circumstances, like when a loved one helps out with a loan or when someone donates a kidney to another person. Thank you still applies. So gratitude comes up in different ways. But I think that every time we say the words thank you, we're honoring the presence and actions of other people. We're reinforcing the fact that our lives are interwoven, that we depend on one another for our well-being. I think that when we're grateful to God, and gratitude can allow us to experience a knowing mutual love with the one who made us and loves us. And so I'll pray for us as we, as we dive into our message today. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we take the opportunity to say thank you right now. I thank you for what you're doing among us as a church community. I thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. I thank you for all the little things that happened to get us all to this room together today. We trust that you see these things, God. And we trust the good work that you're doing among us. Amen. So this morning, I'd like to talk about gratitude as a basic Christian orientation. I'd like to suggest that gratitude is the appropriate posture that we can take as Christians when we live in a world that God has given to us and as we, as we receive the gift of Christ. 
So in this way of thinking, gratitude can be a central motivation, a posture in our lives. Gratitude can shape the way we act generally, rather than just being something we do only on occasion. Now, thinking of gratitude this way, I think, rests on a simple idea, and that is that the world in which we live our lives is a gift. The world is a gift, and our lives are a gift. What was the best gift you ever gave to someone? It's always a special moment when you get to give a gift to a loved one and you watch them open it. First, their face is kind of inquisitive. They're maybe shaking the box a little bit. They're seeing how much it, it weighs. They cut a ribbon, they tear open the paper. And then if they like the gift, you get to see an expression of surprise, delight. Maybe some of us have loved ones with really good surprised faces. Finally, you get to see their expression change to appreciative and grateful. And in our culture, gift giving is really common. I think it's a particularly interesting way that we share love with one another. Now, many Christians, as you may have heard, have pointed out that gift giving can become materialism and it can distract from more important and, and healthier ways of, of showing love. I share a lot of those concerns myself, but I also think that giving and receiving gifts can help us understand who we are to God. As we often sing here at River Heights in our songs, we, we sing about God who gives life, God who gives good and perfect gifts, a generous God. And so in this spirit, I'd like to invite you to think about our world and our lives as gifts from God. In the very first creation story that the Bible tells us, we read this. And you can follow along. <clears throat> then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your field, for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry around the ground, everything that has life. And that's what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. So this world that we know and enjoy is a gift. The Bible also tells us that God's gifts don't stop after God creates the physical world. God gives us not only good material things, but also gives us God's own life, a new source and identity through Christ. This is an everlasting kind of belonging that's unlike our physical lives and that it cannot be taken away or destroyed. In the New Testament in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And so the world in which we live and move and have our being, like the Apostle Paul says in the book of Acts, and the new life we receive when we follow Jesus are all gifts from God. And I think that remembering these things are gifts is important because this implies certain things. Imagine if instead of a gift, our life was compensation or rations or an assignment that we had to complete. 
and implies different things. So some implications of life as a gift. First, to me, the thought that our lives are gifts from God means that we didn't initiate them, that we could not have begun them ourselves. And this in turn implies that part of what our lives mean comes from beyond ourselves, from God. If life is a gift, part of what our lives must mean comes from the fact that there's a giver out there. Presumably, the giver has something to say about what's so important about our lives to start with. In what manner, with what heart, was this gift actually given? So I have a really thick uh, flannel shirt jacket that I like a lot, and I, it was a gift from Hopewell's grandparents. And when I wear it, it helps me remember and know that when Hopewell and I got married, her family actually welcomed me, and they like me, and they want me to have some nice things. And I feel some blessing from them when I wear it. And this jacket means two things to me. First, it's, it's a nice jacket. It's warm. I like wearing it. I think it looks good. Second, it means that I'm loved and accepted by my new family. And in a similar way, this is why we Christians join people of other faiths in trusting that there's more to this world than meets the eye. When the world is a gift, part of its meaning comes from the intention of the giver. Just like the gift of my jacket means two things, so does the gift of our lives. First, our lives involve the things that we can easily see, our, our physical bodies, our struggles, and our strengths. Second, and I think more importantly, our lives are about how much God loves us. My jacket is going to wear out someday. I might spill some chili on it and mess it up. No matter how ragged it gets, it will never stop reminding me that I'm loved by family. So whatever the state your life is in right now, the Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God, that you are precious to God. Each of our lives is evidence of God's great abundant love. And so if life is a gift, then there's a giver. I invite you to notice also there's two different people involved in this situation. Gift giving implies a relationship between people. And it's a particular kind of relationship. We give gifts in recognition of the love, the care, the appreciation that we have for another person. Gifts don't have strings attached. Gifts are not the same thing as trades or bribes. Gift-giving is not an act of coercion. Maybe some of us have received some gifts that had some strings attached. Maybe when it came down to it, those didn't really feel like gifts after all. Sometimes it can be hard to imagine that God's gifts could be different than that. Um, and if you're like me, you might sometimes feel some stress at the idea that life is a gift from God, even if we like the idea that, it, that it's good and we want to trust God and we like the idea of a beautiful creation. Maybe the thought that it's a gift isn't immediately comforting. Perhaps you've wondered at times if God is actually good, or if God's just trying to get something from you in all of this, or if the life God wants to give you is going to hurt. I think these questions are, are understandable, and they're all part of a bigger question that we all come to in one form or another. Can I trust my life in the hands of another person? This is perhaps the basic question of faith. 
I answer this question differently on different days myself. Uh, some days I'm really excited that God's leading me into a gift of life with God. Other days I try to cling to control of my own life. I feel like God is imposing on me. If you find yourself in a similar place right now, if you're thinking God's gifts aren't for you or maybe they're too much for you to handle, I would encourage you that Jesus understands this too. The Bible tells us that Jesus himself prayed, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus, as God incarnate among us, understands our fears. He understands that sometimes our lives seem like God isn't present or even that God isn't good. I take some comfort in remembering that Jesus understands this. When I remember Jesus, I find new hope that God will lead me through my fear into new life, even as Jesus journeyed through death into resurrection life. I also think it's worth mentioning uh, at this point that if we choose to believe that life isn't good, if we take that option, or if God's not deserving of our trust, that this also comes with a cost. If I want to be the ruler of my own life, it means that I have to accept the risks of my own weaknesses. Let's not assume that we deserve to be masters of our own life or that we're ultimately competent even, or that only trusting ourselves or our own truth will easily lead to a good life. When it comes down to it, I personally don't want to ignore the possibility that God might want to do good things for me. How many of us have experienced blessings that were better than what we could have brought about on our own? Yeah, me too. So many times. <laughs> Questioning God's goodness is very natural. The Bible's full of stories about people who questioned God. This room is probably full of those people as well. But I don't want us to miss out. When I remember that God has given us good life through Christ, I feel empowered with a strength that's bigger than my own strength. I have hope that the meaning and the impact of my life might be part of something bigger and more beautiful than what I could bring about by myself. The potential of our lives is in the hands of the one who made it all and called it good. And in the Bible, the prophet Isaiah writes these words, God gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired. And young men will fail in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. The Bible tells us that when God gives gifts, God does so out of love and care rather than from a desire to control us. As we receive our lives as gifts from our Creator, we come to understand that we don't have to pay God back or do God a favor to justify the gift. God's gifts don't have strings attached. They're given with blessing and with joy. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus himself tells us, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for fish, do you give them a snake? I always thought that was really wild. <laughs> of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts 
to those who ask. This passage tells us that God's gifts are even better than gifts from a loving parent. With God, as with all gifts that are given in love, the relationship of giver to recipient is not transactional. It's not about manipulation. Rather, gifts invite communion. So if the life God gives us is a good gift, what do we do? How do we live? What sort of posture do we take as we move through the world? Well, I think another important implication of our lives being gifts is that gifts invite a response. When I was a kid, uh, I had some friends who were not allowed to play with their Christmas presents until they had written a thank you note to the people who gave them the presents. It's kind of hardcore. I still think it's a little bit strict. But I also think my friend's parents were taking care to teach their kids a secret about gift giving. Gifts aren't really just about the gifts themselves. Gifts are a manifestation of another person's love. They symbolize this love to us in a way that we can touch and hold and enjoy probably all can appreciate how a small gift given in great love can still feel really wonderful. And if an extravagant gift is given without love or to make up for a lack of love, it really doesn't feel like a gift at all. When we receive a gift, we react to the gift itself, but we also respond to the love in which the gift was given. Indeed, it'd be pretty rude to accept a gift from a friend without acknowledging the gift with some kind of expression of thanks. And so gift giving and receiving isn't just about the exchange of things. It's about a mutual understanding between the person who gives and the person who receives. Here's another example. Um, Sometimes my family will give me new guitar strings at Christmas. If you have guitar players in your life, find out what strings they like and then get those strings. It's awesome. We always love that. And when I reach my hand into my Christmas stocking and I pull out a pack of guitar strings, I see the guitar strings, but then I also see that my family affirms that I like to play the guitar, that they want me to keep playing the guitar. And then I see that they want me to be happy. And then I remember that they have taken their time, energy, and their money, and they've actually done research into what strings I like, and then they spent their resources just to make me happy. When I understand this, I see and I know that they love me. And in response, it feels very natural to say thank you. So when you give a gift to someone and they respond in gratitude, you both understand in that moment that you love one another. The receiver realizes that, hey, you actually love me. And the giver gets the joy of knowing that the other person knows that they love them. In that moment, both people can share a moment in which both people can think, I know that you know that I love you. And gifts can help us say these things to one another when other ways of communicating aren't possible or are difficult sometimes. And I think the same can be true with God. God who gives us our lives. And in the Genesis 1 creation story I mentioned just a minute ago, Uh, It also says that God makes the different parts of the world in turns. First, there's the sky and the oceans, 
then the trees and the plants, the stars and the sun and the moon, and then all the animals. And the story says that after each piece of this creation, God saw that it was good. And I think it's interesting that in the story, all of this takes place before God made people. And to me, that means that we can understand that the world would be good, whether we were here to know about it or not. I also think that in order for life to be a gift and to be a communication of love, there was a piece missing. Someone who could be in the creation and say, hey, I, I, I see what's going on here. I know that this is a gift. There was a knowing recipient that was required. I think that God wanted some part of the creation that could speak back to God and say, I see this, I see this gift. I see what you're doing. I see that you love me, and I thank you. Just like we depend on God to show us what our lives mean, I think God also wants to hear from us. Just like we might want to hear what our gifts mean to our loved ones. Can you imagine the awkward silence when you're not sure whether your loved one actually likes the thing that you got them? Yeah. Maybe God kind of knows what that feels like too. I think that for God there might actually be something missing about the world until we respond. God wants to know what the gift of life means to us. I think God's waiting for us to say that we also think that the ocean, the animals, our bodies, our lives, our neighbors are good. And to be clear, I'm sure that God isn't waiting for us to write our thank you notes, as it were, before we enjoy the world. Like God's an uptight family member who might be offended if we don't say thank you fast enough. Instead, I think God is waiting with the hope of an artisan who wants to hear, wow, that's beautiful. Or a gift giver who wants to hear, how did you know? That's perfect for me. This job, this place to live, this spouse, this life, it's perfect for me. And that's what we do. That's what we do when we're together. That's what we've already done as we sing today. We respond to God's love. And here I think of the words uh, from Psalm 139. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. I also think it gets even better from this point. God does even more than give us life and create a beautiful world. Just like we sing sometimes here at River Heights, God does exceedingly more than we could ask, believe, or even imagine. God cares about our well-being so much that God comes to join us when the world that we make is anything but beautiful. As Christians, we believe not only that our lives are gifts, we believe that God gives us God's own self through the person of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. We receive not only the world as a gift, but we receive God's own presence. And the presence of God comes to us in the middle of our fears, in the middle of our injustice, in the middle of our sin, these things that we live with every day. God comes to us in Jesus and bears all the cruel edges of our creation. When Jesus rose from the dead, the evil in the world was shown to be ultimately powerless against God's life. 
Just like Pete reminded us last week, the evil in our world right now is living on borrowed time. We've seen how it works out. As I mentioned earlier, we worship a God who understands that it's not always simple to say that our lives are good. However, I think God invites us to affirm that the love that we know in and through the gift of the world is worth difficulty. And we have an example in Christ of this. In the hours leading up to Jesus' unjust death on a Roman cross, when he was preparing to face the worst that our world has to offer, Jesus was eating a meal with his friends. This scene, uh, as you might have heard, is often referred to as the Last Supper in the Bible. And at the table, Jesus asks his disciples, his friends, to remember him whenever they take bread and wine and they eat and drink together. I'm often personally very touched by Jesus' words from this scene that we pray each Sunday when we take communion. As often as you do this, remember me. Jesus wants to be known. Jesus wants to matter to his friends. Jesus wants to be loved even as he has loved us and given himself for us. And so here today, we're Christians a couple of thousands of years after this scene. And we have the benefit of hindsight. And we know that Jesus wasn't only talking to his friends who were in the room with him. Jesus was talking to all of us. Jesus wants us to remember him. So as we receive the gifts of Jesus' body and blood, his very self given up for us, Jesus is inviting us to think of him, to know him, to know that he loves us. Perhaps some of us need to remember this for the first time today. Perhaps others of us need to remember it again. Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus wants you to think of him. Jesus wants us to remember. It's often not any more complicated than that. I think the Last Supper also is kind of a funny name. To me, it sounds really final. I don't know if the folks who named the Bible stories noticed that Christians didn't have, like they've, they've continued the supper. There wasn't a last one. <laughs> Kept doing it for 2,000 more years, and we don't plan on stopping. <laughs> the early Christians, our ancestors in faith, indeed carried on this meal. They responded to Jesus by continuing what he did with his friends. As Jesus modeled, they would share bread and wine together, and they called this ritual the Eucharist. And this is an English transliteration of a Greek word that means to give thanks. Another way to say it might be thanksgiving. For most of us, myself included, when I think of a Thanksgiving meal, I don't think of just bread and wine. More likely to imagine turkeys. We've got your preferred form of cranberries, pumpkin pie, gravy from your family's favorite recipe. But it turns out the central Christian practice of worship the number one similarity shared by different groups of Christians around the world is a meal called Thanksgiving. The response of giving thanks to God is so central to our lives as Christians that it's shared across our language of worship just like it's shared across our spoken languages. When we receive the gift of God's own life, how else do we respond but with thanks? 
And we'll have the opportunity to do just that a little bit later in our service when the worship team leads us in communion together. But I would remind you that this is not our only opportunity to say thank you to God. Jesus says, as often as you eat and drink, remember me. I think there's something special about taking the bread and wine together like we do on Sundays, but the invitation is not limited to church. If you have plans to eat turkey on Thanksgiving, some, some meal that you prefer, I invite you to remember Jesus. I invite you to remember that God knows, that you know, that God loves you, and that you receive God's good gifts. And when we thank God for our lives, we can give back to God the love that God gives to us. So gratitude for our lives and our new lives in Christ is a way in which we can do this mutually with God. We can share mutual love. We can join in with what God's doing in our lives right now. And we can continue to do this as we continue with our worship service today. So I'll invite the worship team up at this point. Um, if we have folks on the prayer team as well who'd be ready and, and able to come pray for folks, could you come up to the doors on either side? Um, these folks will be uh, ready to pray with you about anything you want. If, if the Holy Spirit's been stirring something in you, if something from our message today really landed with you and you feel like there's something else for you there, come and ask for a prayer. These folks are trained. They're very kind. We also have three tips for you this morning that will help you carry this message into your week. And I invite you to stand at this point together as we come back into worship. Um, our tip number one is something to read. Uh, I invite you to read uh, the Gospel of John chapter 14. We didn't talk about it this morning, but this is a scene in which Jesus explains the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I invite you just to read this and notice how you respond and ask God to meet you in that place. Something simple to pray we could maybe even do before you leave church today. Find three things about your life that you're grateful for and say thank you to God. And something to do is very similar. Think of three people in your life who've made your life better. Could be simple things. And just say thank you to them. So we'll continue to practice gratitude together as we respond to God's love with singing and as we remember Jesus by taking communion together. And the worship team will lead us in these things and will dismiss us uh, when our service is over. You're welcome to come up for prayer at any time through the rest of the service. Thank you, friends. We're going to sing together some of the words that John quoted from the song. Um, you do exceedingly so much more than we could even ask, believe.